0: The first Bible reading comes from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. <laughs> then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. The second Bible reading comes from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. (laughs) Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all ye families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness.
1: Well, thank you, Caitlin. And you can follow where we're going in the outline in the middle of the leaflet and the passages down there. It'd be great to open that up. Let's pray, Father, uh, please help me to be really clear and on our kickoff Sunday, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would energize us by understanding something afresh and new of the glories of Christ and being his people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, sometimes we can lose our voice. For me, it usually happens when I've been talking too much uh, it happened on the third Sunday I started here. That was a little embarrassing. I'd been talking too much. It can illustrate the Christian life when you think about it. We come to Jesus immensely excited. Uh, upon discovering faith, you're, you talk to whoever you can, or the news filters out of the change in your life, All your contacts, your friends, your family, your work colleagues, the people you study with, get to know what you believe, and then after a time, you run out of new people to tell. And all the people that you know that are in your life now know what you believe, and some have said it's not for them, some have perhaps been hostile. We settle down for a quiet witness. And then after a few years, evangelism, sharing the good news, becomes something we used to do. We began excited but feel that we've lost our voice. Is that you? Is that you? Okay. Christians have always been people of praise, by which I mean speaking about how great and wonderful God is. we do this all the time with things that we think are great and wonderful, the concert that you go to that makes the hairs on the back of your neck rise, uh, the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant last minute goal at footy that you see and you're witness to, the baby who takes its first steps and leaves you wanting to punch the air. Uh, there are many things that leave us so awestruck. We can't help sharing it, passing on the good news of what we've seen to someone else. It happens all the time. Christians are people of praise because we know that God himself is worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise for who he is, verse 6, his splendor, his glory, and also for what he's done, verse 3, his marvelous deeds. These are the things we speak of. To God, we sing to the Lord, so our praise goes up, verse 1. And also to people, we praise God to others, verse three, declaring his glory among the nations. So on the one hand, we are people of praise, or at least we're meant to be, unless on the other, we've lost our voice. Have you lost your voice? This week I've been asking people, when was the last time you shared the good news of Jesus with someone who doesn't Yet believe. I'm making an assumption here, and maybe not everyone's up to that point of actually believing in Jesus, but for those that are, when was the last time you did it? Now, for some of us, it's actually been years. Okay, but good news because there's encouragement for all of us who have lost our voice. Psalm 96. And it speaks of us singing a new song a new song, not an old song, same old, same old, something new, something new about God that gives us reason to want to sing. I think uh, you know, we all know there's something infectious about people who are genuinely awestruck and then tell you a story about what they've been struck by. That is the sentiment behind this psalm which has been described as the great commission of the Old Testament, which is why we had that first reading from Matthew Chapter 28, the Great Commission. It's a call, a direct call to action. The first three verses, if you look, are packed with six separate calls to speak. Sing to the Lord, a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation. Declare his glory. They're all verbs of speaking. You have to have a loose mouth to do that, don't you? Open it. The scope of the call is the nations, verse three, all peoples, that all the earth may also be able to join in on this song. So it's not just to in-house people, but everywhere. And the call is to speak continually, to do it day after day, verse two. Now, if we're familiar with Jesus' great commission to his disciples, then the worldwide scope is nothing new. But it was here, it wasn't you in Psalm 96. Here is a call for the Israelites who largely separated themselves from the nations. Here is a call for them to go out to the nations to proclaim God's salvation, his glory, his marvelous deeds. It is the great commission of the Old Testament. Now, why? Why would they do that? Well, the reason given is that God is worthy of praise, not just worthy or even very worthy. Of anyone being worthy of being praised, the Lord, we're reminded, is most worthy. He's the most worthy. He is to be feared above all gods. Why? Because, verse 5, all the gods of the nations are idols. So it's not just like in a pluralistic society, you know, you've got the Lord, Jesus there, Christians believe him and you've got other religions there and we're all just to quietly let each other get on. No, 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 all the gods of the nations are idols. In our pluralistic world we need to hear it. Whatever other idols or gods people worship, however sincere and lovely they are as people, however much that is true, the gods that they serve are not real. They are idols, they have eyes that can't see, they have ears that can't hear, they have hands and feet that can't move. And even our Western idols of pleasure, chocolate, and not being offended, as affirming as these things are, they are not by comparison more worthy of worship than the Lord. Why not? Because, verse five, he made them. The Lord made the heavens. And we of all people in the history of the world should be awestruck by this. Because we have technology, right? So the James Webb telescope was launched 14 months ago, and that has captured light from galaxies formed when the universe was only 1.8% of its age, right? Very early on. Scientists, astronomers say the light, and now forgive me if you think that the world is only 6,000 years old, but if Scientists would say that the light of these captured galaxies has been on its way to us for 13.5 billion years. Our own Milky Way galaxy contains at least 100 billion stars, although the estimates go up to 400 billion. And it's so vast it takes 100,000 years for light to get from one side of the Milky Way to the other. That's just the Milky Way. Astronomers estimate that there are two trillion galaxies out there, right? Which puts the number of stars in the universe at around, give or take, 200 billion trillion. I've never thought of a number that big. How did it all begin? Scientists don't know. Even the big bang hypothesis has to start with a bang, and they don't know what set that off. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The Lord in the night sky reveals himself as an astounding creator. He created the heavens. And you see what this means. If the Lord is the creator, (laughs) the other gods, people worship, they're not not God. (laughs) The Lord alone, he's he's the real deal. That makes him unique. That makes him alone, worthy of our speaking about in praise and awe and wonder. (laughs) If that's the reason for our praise, what's the goal of our praise? The answer is in verse seven to nine and the goal of us speaking out in praise of the Lord is salvation, salvation of the nations. Verse seven, ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Now to do that, of course, they have to know of him Because to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength means to say, Lord, you have the glory and strength. But of course, you can only do that if you know him. And that happens when we begin, when we, the people of God, begin speaking about the Lord as the creator. Uh, This is why the Bible starts where it starts. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It starts with creation, That is the first thing to believe about God before someone can, in the end, accept Christ. In the beginning was God. So it starts there, but the goal, of course, is the salvation of the nations. This is where the Bible's trajectory goes. Verse eight goes further, it calls on the families of the nations to ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name, and then to bring an offering and come into his courts. Now what's being pictured is the nations willingly coming to the Lord in the Old Testament, willingly coming to Jerusalem to the temple to bring their offerings of worship. Verse nine, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Some of us will know the song from Psalm 96, we used to sing it at church a lot, sing unto the Lord a new song. And there is a line in that song, worship the Lord in holy array. Um, In Trinity City, that was the line that was scrolled above the arch in a sort of um, lovely font on a sort of ribbon um, there. It's painted over now, but it used to be there, (laughs) okay. Worship the Lord in holy array, what's it mean? Holy array means to stand in holy garments, holy clothing, decked out, In the Lord's righteousness, in his holiness, having our own garments of sin removed, we are covered in his righteousness. What's being spoken of is salvation. The families of the nations gathering in God's temple, standing before him, not in their own righteousness, but in the Lord's righteousness, a righteousness given to them, and coming and worshiping. And then that should raise the question, how? How can the nations of the world be covered? in God's holiness like this? And the answer is what comes next, it's the message. The message that God's people are to proclaim to the nations, and now we get to the content, we're told it in verse 10. Say among the nations, here's what we're to say, the Lord reigns, not reigning like precipitation, reigns as in ruling, the Lord is reigning, he's the ruler. And we think, hang on, but that's hardly a new message. Okay, when has the Lord not been reigning? When has he taken his finger off the steering wheel uh, wheel of world history? He hasn't. He's always reigning. He's the Lord. He's the ruler. Okay, think with me. This psalm calls us to sing a new song. A new song which speaks of the Lord somehow reigning in a new way. Ruling or reigning in a new way which draws the nations in causes them to be covered in God's holiness as they come before him into his very presence and enabling them to stand before him in worship. So here's the question, what is this new way of reigning that means salvation for the nations? What is it that makes this song new? The rest of verse 10 doesn't seem to offer any clues. It speaks of the world over which God rules being firmly established and immovable. And in much the same way, just as that is true, so God will judge the peoples with justice and we think, oh, that's that word judge. Yike, I don't like that judgment. How can this be good news? And we're told the Lord will establish, therefore, his rule in a new way. And we've got questions. What's the new way? I guess we need to know why the psalm was written in the first place, don't we? I mean, if we had in the Bible um, some clue as to the historical context that this psalm was written, then we'd understand what was new. Well, thankfully for us, Psalm 96 does exist elsewhere in the Bible. You know this, don't you? Yeah. In 1 Chronicles 16, of course. Duh! All right, so, well done, I knew you knew that. Okay, so if you, if you flicked in your Bible to 1 Chronicles 16, verses 23 to 33, you would discover Psalm 96, from verses two onwards, the bit after it says, sing to the Lord a new song, because this is the bit where actually it is the new song that's written. Okay, when these words were first said, so here's the setting, all Israel is assembled, there's this massive public moment, there's a great celebration, King David himself is there. And David, at this great time, when all the nation is together in Jerusalem, he calls on the temple singers to sing this psalm, to sing this new song, and the temple singers sing it, and they themselves are then calling on the whole nation, all of God's people, to sing a new song to the world. Now, what is new? Well, something's happened. Something's happened in Israelite history. God is reigning in a new way, which he wasn't reigning before. Well, what's the way? If you just flick back one page, you can see what's going on in chapter 14. David is now in Jerusalem. He wasn't beforehand, now he is, that's new. The king of God's people, in other words, has made Jerusalem the royal city, a city of David. David is no longer on the run, he's not being chased by Saul, he's not biding his time for six years in Hebron where he began his reign. David is now reigning from Jerusalem. And then after that we see David Conquering, that is, there's a new lasting salvation against an ancient enemy. Chapter 14, verse 14 of 1 Chronicles, after decades of fighting the Philistines, that ancient enemy of God's people, finally they are subdued. The Lord himself enters into battle together with David and his army. I don't know if you know this story, but the Lord marches in the tops of the balsam trees beside the Israelite army. Far out, okay. (laughs) Enabling David to strike down the Philistines for the last time. So what's new? The Lord is ruling through his chosen king. He's bringing lasting salvation from an ancient enemy. The nations hear of this and then the nations are beginning to fear the Lord. So So what we have here is David ruling from Jerusalem God and his anointed king are saving his people from an ancient enemy. And all that is backdrop, drum roll, for the big news of what comes next, the huge moment in the history of the world never experienced until now when the ark of God is brought by David into Jerusalem. It's very easy to miss the significance of this. We think it's just a religious procession. Uh Uh-uh. Okay, remember the Ark of God. The the Ark was that gold-plated box above which God would appear to Moses. In other words, it was a symbol of the presence of the living God, a symbol of his presence localized on earth. Inside the Ark were the Ten Commandments. Now that symbolizes God's rule. So the Ark is a symbol of God's presence and his rule. And the ark, of course, went before the Israelites into the promised land. It was the symbolized, symbol of God's saving rule. Now we have David, God's anointed king, ruling from Jerusalem, bringing the symbol of the Lord's presence, the Lord's saving rule, into his city. Now when you think about it, that makes Jerusalem no longer the city of David, it makes Jerusalem the city of God. So now the kingdom of David becomes the kingdom of God. Now the Lord is ruling the world through his anointed king in Jerusalem, the city of God. That's what's new. In other words, back then you could say, want to meet God, nations around the world? Come to Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of God. Come to Jerusalem, the city of peace where peace really does exist, where there's a chance for the nations to come and make their peace with God because the Lord is ruling, he's there, he's ruling through David, his chosen king on the throne, ruling with righteousness, justice, making just judgments. And that's why Psalm 96 speaks so positively of God judging the people with justice. We read of that word judgment we go, oh, That's scary, end times judgment. It's talking about God ruling and doing what other kings would do in the ancient world where people would come and bring their disputes and the king would sit on the throne and he would dispense justice. Well here is the Lord reigning with righteousness, dispensing just judgments. And this is the conditions for peace. This enables a nation to flourish. And now it's set to happen in a way that's never happened before. The Lord reigning through his chosen king from the city of peace. This is the good news that was to go out. That's why the Israelites were told to sing that song. That's the historical context. So what? Okay, so what? David's dead. You don't find the ark of God in Jerusalem anymore. God is no longer ruling the world from a city. What Psalm 96 says, Celebrated was never actually fulfilled there, not completely. The nations never did come to Jerusalem as was sung about. The families of the nations never gathered in and worshipped in holy array, covered in God's holiness. But here's the thing. Because Jesus has come, we his people, we are the ones who are able to sing this song. Because after David came David's great son Jesus, the son of David, and he is the one actually who fulfills everything this psalm was pointing to. Through him, the role of God's people in this psalm actually is now being fulfilled in us. What I'm saying is that the psalm really is not primarily about the Israelites finding their voice, it's really about us finding our voice. Now, how did I work that out? Think with me. It was through Jesus that God reigned in Jerusalem and brought peace to the world. You remember that moment, don't you? When he was dressed in a robe of a king, a purple robe, had a crown on his head, a sign that announced him as the king of the Jews. You remember that moment, don't you? It was there on the cross that God achieved a new and lasting salvation for us because that's where he fought our ancient enemy. Not the Philistines, but the real enemy. Our sins committed by us, the law which condemns us, Satan who accuses, the judgment to come. They are the enemies that really count. But on the cross, of course, God fought against those enemies and won. So that whoever turns to faith, in in faith to Jesus, God draws to him to worship in holy array. He takes our sin-stained clothes of our own works, our record of our sins, and he clothes us with Christ's righteousness. And this offer is open to the nations. We heard Jesus send out his disciples to the nations. Now disciples can be made of the nations. We can actually come and worship in holy array. Um, This is good news. Tuesday I did a burial and a funeral and then a memorial service afterwards. And in the building afterwards were the family and friends of the person that had died, a lovely Christian lady, 95 years old, known the Lord for 45 years. Um, She was looking to be home with Jesus. And I was able to proclaim the good news and there were Of course, believing family members and non-believing family members, people who sang the songs, people who didn't. who were all there. And I was able to speak of the tremendous hope that Beryl now had, whereas, frankly, if you think that life just gets obliterated at death, funerals are very hard, aren't they? Or if you pretend that somehow people go on to a better place but you have no basis for saying that, They're just wishful thinking. But if you have something solid, someone who has died for your sins and risen again, you have news to sing about. You really do have news to proclaim. Asaph and his singers may have thought they had reason to sing a new song, but we have even more. We're the real singers, not them. It's we who can proclaim his salvation. We who still have a new song to sing because Jesus, the son of David, really is still alive. He's still reigning. He's calling the nations to himself. And he does it, how does he do it? Through, he does it through our praise. Us speaking. Well, what impact of our praise can we look forward to Obviously, people hearing and responding and coming to God in worship, and that's happening. Um, is oh, Jip is down the back. Hello. <laughs> he says, what are you gonna say? Over Christmas, uh, the Wang family were not here. They went on a cruise um, with other Chinese families that they know. And Jip told them all on the cruise the story of Jesus. So cool. A voice loosed in praise. Doug, who normally sits there, don't if, is Doug here today? Doug is a fly-in-fly-out worker who started attending our church last year. He works in the mines up north. And literally he proclaims he shines as a light in the darkness, because they really are in dark. But he's connecting with a whole lot of people and talking of God and of faith in the mind, encourage Doug when you next see him. Shining as a light, this is so cool. Voices opened in praise. Our praise of God leads to other people coming and worshiping but the the psalm pushes us further. Verses 11 to 13, call on the heavens to rejoice, the sea, the fish to resound, the cultivated fields and the livestock to be joyful, the forest to sing for joy, The picture is the whole of creation animated and rejoicing. Why? Because, we know from the Bible, with God reigning through Christ, with his people singing his praises, the nations coming to him, next in God's timetable that we can look forward to is for him to come and to judge the earth. This really is good news, it might sound bad news, but Judgment Day, remember, is about God ruling through Jesus for the world to see. He's on the throne, he's making right judgments. he's putting things right, he's dispensing justice, he's putting to right what has been wrong. And at the moment, there is so much that's wrong with this world and creation but when the Lord comes and brings us with him at that moment, the creation itself will burst into flourishing, it will be renewed. Romans chapter eight, verse 12, Paul says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, which will happen at Jesus' coming. On that day, God will restore creation. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. On that day, creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Doesn't that blow your mind? Uh, This is why I think all people who are genuinely concerned for the environment should become Christians, really, because Christ himself will restore the creation. He's the key. It's also why Christians who found their voice, they are the true environmentalists. Because by finding our voice and praising God to others, we are fast-tracking the restoration of creation. What that means for us is that we need to find our voice. Psalm 96 is here to help us find our voice. I said there is something infectious about people who are full of praise. Um, I just want to remind us, we, we've got something to be infectious about, you know. It's not like we're a COVID spreader. <laughs> That's not our infectious the infection that we want to spread. It, we, our inf- we have the great knowledge, personal relationship with the Lord, who's got a massive plan for the world, who's drawing nations to himself to stand before him in holy array. Um, this, this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We know the name of the one through whom God made the heavens, Jesus. We know the name of God's great son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We know when God fought with us, fought for us, sorry, through Jesus to rescue us from our greatest enemies. He did it at the cross. We know the joy of standing in Christ's holiness, his righteousness which covers us. We know the joy of gathering with people from other countries to worship. We know the goodness of being able to let Jesus take control of our lives and him being in charge. We know what purpose it gives our life when we have a hope and we look forward to his return. And he calls us to find our voice and to speak of these things. Now last year we talked about our vision for our church and I have to say much of it was inward looking. We were looking to rebuild our teams. We were looking to improve our church health. That was a necessary step, but it was only a means to an end. That's not the end. It's a means to an end. Once a week, we gather in Jesus' name to worship, to come under his rule, why, so that having done that, we are encouraged and motivated to find our voice in speaking of God to others. Now, if we've lost our voice, how do we find it? Well, we make it a priority to come together in Jesus' name to worship, to sing the new song of the gospel which we've been singing already, to remind each other that God is most worthy of praise. You need that reminder, don't you? I do. To remind each other that we worship the one who is the one true God. He is the creator, he is the ruler, he is the savior, he is the Lord who now reigns through Jesus Christ as Lord. And I take it we also find our voice when we give ourselves to living under Jesus' rule as Lord. That is, in our personal lives, when we surrender the aspects of our life to his rule and we let him in to places we had barred himself from, when we do that, when we hand him our sins, when we hand him our needs, we discover the goodness of Jesus in our lives and that gives us a personal story to speak about. Psalm 96 has been called the Great Commission of the Old Testament. I think it's wrong really, um, because it was even more for us than the people back then. It's the Great Commission for us today because it's we, not they, who live under the reign of Jesus. We're the people of praise. Um, I hope you have a story to tell. There's something really infectious about loving the Lord and being able to speak of him. To be people who announce, as we can, as we have opportunity to others, the Lord reigns. Jesus Christ is in charge of my life. He has changed it. He's ruling in my life, and he's made such a difference that I can't not speak of it. And I'm doing it now in the hope that you too will be able to worship God as well. That is a song worth singing about, isn't it? Father in heaven, uh, may this year be a year of praise. May this year, if our mouths have been shut, if our jaws have been calcified, if our hearts have grown hard, may this year be a year when you recapture us with the wonder and the glory of the gospel again And Lord, we pray, give us two things, or three things. Give us opportunity, more opportunities than we know of to be able to speak of Jesus, make it easier, not harder. And then give us courage in the moment and also give us words and the help of your Holy Spirit that we would be people of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.